Welcome to the Empowered Modern Witches Show. I'm Tanae Stewart, the Witch of Lupin Hollow, and a self-love and empowerment coach. I'm here to help you embody simplicity in your spiritual practice and to feel confident bringing empowering magic and rituals into your real daily life. Join me each week for practical insights on the seasons and the stars. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to our live today. Uh, I am here with Lori, who is going to be talking with me today about the pagan roots of Christianity. We're going to be talking about the divine feminine in lots of different spaces and how we can kind of reclaim and take ownership of that energy um, that we've been really exiled from in our society. So I'm really excited. Thank you for being here today, Lori. I'm excited too. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let me just bring up the comments on my phone so I make sure I see them. Key stuff there. Okay. All right. So if you're here with us live, say hello in the comments. If you're catching the replay, say hello. Um, and tell us what you're excited about for today's talk. Um, feel free to ask questions as we go along. Um, I shared Lori's little bio and some links um, in the description. Um, but let me just share a little bit. Phone is not cooperating. Share just a little bit more. Um, okay, so Lori's a spiritual life coach who really focuses on feminist theology and erotic spirituality, which I think is amazing. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit more about that and about what you do? Yes. So feminist theology is often considered like, well, those two things don't go together. Feminism and studying God, which God in the very patriarchal male image that I think many of us have in our heads when we hear that is, is often considered a contradiction. But feminist theology has actually been around since the 60s or 70s when women started being allowed into seminaries and divinity schools. And immediately almost, once women had the freedom and the ability to analyze and study theological texts, they immediately brought a woman's or a feminine interpretation into, into what they were reading. And feminist theology was born, this understanding that we cannot assume the masculinity of God, that we cannot deny women access to leadership roles within religious institutions, that there are ways, different ways of interpreting uh, texts that are often used to silence women. All these different ideas started coming to the forefront. And that's when feminist theology was born. The sad thing about feminist theology is that many men who are put behind pulpits know about feminist theology. They've read it in their seminaries. They're familiar with it, but they don't preach it. They don't talk about it. They don't bring it up in Bible studies. And I'm sure if you asked individual pastors or priests why they don't talk about feminist theology, they're going to give you various different answers. But one of the things that that comes down to is that men don't see women's interpretations or patriarchy doesn't see women's interpretations as valuable um, in spiritual and religious spaces. So feminist theology and what I do specifically with feminist theology is when I left theology school, I decided that these ideas and these, these rich women's voices and rich women's history, not just the women who today are talking about these things, but also the women of the past, because even though women weren't allowed in theology schools, 
there were women theologians, there were women preachers, there were women thinkers all throughout religious history. Um, I want to bring those that knowledge forward to other women so that people don't have to get like really expensive master degrees to be able to learn these things. We should be able to be these should be this information should be common knowledge. And so feminist theology is basically bringing back and revaluing the voices of women within spiritual practices. Erotic spirituality is comes from the Greek word eros and the idea of passion and love. And eros was not just a god of love, but it was also a trickster god. And when we look at the ideas of trickery and the way that that ties in with foolery and the way that the erotic can make us do wild, crazy things that do not line up with how society and good proper women are supposed to act. But when we fully embody what is erotic and going after our passions and our desires in an embodied way that honors this full body, which is often considered evil and wrong, that we are also connecting with the divine in really sacred ways which ties into feminist theology, because of course women, um, trans people, queer people are not encouraged to to love our bodies or our sexualities at all. Totally. Oh, okay. So many things I want to dive into. Um, <laughs> so many pieces of that that I want to unpack. Um, okay. Hey, Megan. Hey, Jenny and Rachel. All right. I'm hoping I'm seeing most comments. Okay. So, so many pieces of that that I want to ask questions about. Okay. First off, I think, something that we talk about a lot in this group and in this space um you know, we're recording this live in our facebook group the audio will be available on the podcast so if you're listening there as well in our communities and in these spaces we talk a lot about how very many of our members are and just people in the spiritual and witchy communities in general are coming from more religious or more traditionally religious backgrounds and have, you know, kind of walked away or are trying to walk away or are considering walking away from those, you know, especially Christian, but other religious backgrounds as well that are, you know, really steeped in everything you're talking about, you know, all of this like patriarchal perspective on spirituality. Um, can you talk a little bit more about kind of what that journey looks like, you know, how if someone is coming from a traditional, you know, more patriarchal religious background and wants to, you know, maybe even kind of retain some of that belief and some of that spiritual practice, but is, you know, looking for something that is in our case more witchy, right? Or or more pagan in whatever way uh, feels right to them. You know, how can we kind of take some of those theological ideas and maybe, you know, learn some of this feminist theology and apply it in different ways. You know, like I would love to kind of hear your perspective on how we can kind of mesh these different things together for people who really want to do that. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fascinating because there is so much beautiful and rich things within, I guess that are like, covered up or like hidden in between the folds. One of my uh, professors would talk about how we have to, like she would take her hands like this and she would pull through and she'd be like, we have to pull like the women through the text or through the history because there really have been active conscious choices to silence women and keep women out of, out of the tradition. And so I think the first thing to do is 
I think move away from any understanding that there is a correct way to be a part of the ancestral tradition that so many of us have, which is Christianity. Because at that, I mean, most of us here, I would imagine if we trace our our lineage back at least 500 years, we're going to have Christians. And so that is a part of our ancestral tradition. And forgive that there is no right way to participate in that. Uh, that, yeah, like I think we have this dogmatic way that Christianity has been given to us, obviously, but at the same time, they were wrong. Because if we do believe in a divinity, um, whatever form that divinity takes for you, that is loving and life-giving, then there is no way that you should ever honor a divinity that is oppressive, patriarchal, and abusive. So, understand that that doesn't need to be the God you're honoring within within holding on to those practices. And then the other thing I would say is that find the things that resonate with you. So I come from a fundamentalist evangelical background, and that doesn't resonate with me in many ways at all. But my parents were Catholic. And when I discovered the rosary and when I discovered images of Mary and the concepts of the Black Madonna, which I can talk about more if you want me to dive into that. But these ideas of like this earth mother connected to a tradition of Catholicism, I really resonated with that. So I took up a lot of rosary practices and and praying to Mary as a part of my ancestral work that wasn't necessarily smiled upon within the religion or the form of Christianity that I was raised in, but aligned with my ancestral prayer patterns and that I feel like is a is a is a, was a big step for me. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know quite a few people who have carried through either you know have walked away from their Christian tradition completely and then returned to it in some way, or have carried it through. Um, especially working with Mary, with working with Mary Magdalene, and I just think it's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit more to like what those practices look like? Yes. So it, it varies because tradition, so so why I talked about like Catholic practices, we would all have in our head like very certain things that people have done throughout years. Mary Magdalene, working with Mary Magdalene and working with the Mother Mary looks different for everyone when you're doing it outside of the context of a patriarchal church. So I think what we're doing is we're rebuilding new paradigms and we're rebuilding new ways to honor the divine feminine within those spaces. So for me, it looks like I found the image of the Black Madonna that correlated to where my family was from in Southern Italy. And I use that image a lot in my understanding of the divine because I pretty good guess my ancestral ancestors prayed to her. And so I use that a lot. With Mary Magdalene, one thing that I think is really powerful about her is the way that she goes through the seven powers in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and how those correlate with the seven deadly sins. And the, for me, Mary Magdalene's Gospel is shadow work. And it is about owning our darkness so that we can step into a richer light or life. And so I would say look at those texts like like the gospel of mary look at your ancestral ways of honoring the mother mary um, or look at the mother goddess that correlates also with your ancestors and them and then see how you can honor 
honor those practices for yourself. This is also a work that I do with my students in our classes in the Feminist School of Theology. So it's also something that would could is is personal in my opinion that that correlates with people's own personal and ancestral stories. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, I love the ancestral connection because I think that's something that a lot of us grapple with that like you know, I, I do a lot of ancestral work. And so a lot of times with my clients, you know, we're like looking for something, you know, witchy or something magical in their ancestry. And sometimes it's not there. You know, sometimes we're not descended from witches, maybe, you know, thousands of years back, but not something that we can tangibly find. And so I always like to talk about that, that like, you know, first of all, you're sometimes even your Christian ancestors, even your Catholic ancestors might very well have been very magical and very intuitive in their own ways. It was just expressed in a different way. I, I love that. Yes. I think about my, my friend comes from Celtic Ireland um, ancestry and his grandmother was very in love with St. Bridget and every St. Bridget, they used to have a special ritual they did with water and he was doing it with a friend and they, their friend, his friend was like, as an adult. And his friend said, like, your grandmother did this? Your grandmother was a witch. And he was like, oh, but if you told her that, she <laughs> would have been so offended. Because just because our ancestors didn't take on those terms doesn't mean they didn't have a sacred relationship with the elements and the earth in a way that we would understand pagan or witch practices today. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% agree. Luna asks in the comments, um, she says, I'm unfamiliar with the Black Madonna, if you can touch on that a little bit more. Sure. So the Black Madonna is this image or images of Mary that have been around for almost as long as Christianity. I think the farthest back one we know comes from 300 AD, but I could be wrong about that. And they, we don't really know entirely how each what like there's no consensus on where this image came from but they're found as far up as in northern germany so it's not necessarily correlated with black skin although some of them certainly 100% are correlated with images of mary that come from africa i know many of the ones in sicily and um outside of the area of naples we know that they came directly from africa they were done by african artists so that explains some of the the dark skin of mary but other people correlated also with an understanding that these images of Mary were understood as the cosmic mother and mother earth, and that that dark skin was actually a cultural representation of mother earth being understood as the earth as dirt. And that our mother is has brown skin because she is the color of the earth. And there was a sacredness in that. And so it is, she's very connected in, when we trace back the practices that connect to these Mary images, are very connected to cultural indigenous practices that took place in those spaces. Some black Madonnas we know a little bit more about, like the Our Lady of Guadalupe is a black Madonna image. And she is, um, some of the images of her have darker skin and many indigenous people in uh, Southern and like Mexico area do correlate her specifically with a goddess um, who I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but it's Tonanson. And um, and there's auto, also another goddess, um, Chattahue, which I'm also pronouncing incorrectly. Um, so I apologize for anyone who is listening to this and comes from those traditions, but correlated with these mother goddesses and that even some of the indigenous people use the image of these, uh, the Lady of Guadalupe, for example, to honor their mother goddesses 
Whereas if we look in Europe, some of the practices that correlate with the Black Madonnas are correlated to other goddesses that we can trace back. Now, again, it goes back to that, my friend's grandmother, that if you were to say to a good Mexican Catholic woman that you're actually worshiping the goddess, she might be very offended, just like my great-grandmother would have been very offended. But at the same time, we can see correlations between the practices. And I think in our own consciousness today, we can see that we're honoring the, the earth when we honor a holy mother or the holy mother. Right. Yeah, definitely. I can totally, totally resonate with that. You know, I mean, I know my my great grandmother probably would not love some of what I spend my life doing either. But uh, you know, she would be supportive, but very confused. Um, but you know, I think that there is so much really rich, you know, feminine and feminist, both cultural heritage that you know the women and the people in our lineage, they wouldn't have used these words like you're saying, but that doesn't mean they didn't feel really connected to, you know, what we would call a goddess energy. Like, I just think there's, there's so much to be reclaimed there. Right. And I think that comes down to feminist or woman's spirituality and what it comes that there is a way of knowing the divine that our mothers knew and practiced that was not included in the seminaries, that was not respected. And I think post-enlightenment, that became called old wives' tales and folk religion and silly. Pre-enlightenment, it was witchcraft. And now and now it's still, it's still looking to hold a place of respect, I think, among religious spaces. And I hope as witchcraft and pagan practices become more pre predominant, that those women's practices become more respected. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the respect piece is a really, really big part because like you're saying, it's not that these practices haven't been around all this time. You know, it's not like, it, it's always interesting when you talk about it from like a historical or an anthropological perspective of like, you know, practice in modern pagan practices is not an unbroken tradition. It's not like, you know, it's been passed down from generation to generation and it looks the same. And yet, it's also not like there's a 500 year gap and we're just picking something up out of nowhere. You know, it's somehow it's both somehow, you know, our, our more recent ancestors were practicing in various ways. They just, they had different words for it and it wasn't respected. I think that that respect piece is really huge that like, and I mean, even within the pagan community, it's the same thing, right? Like our, some of our most famous pagan leaders are men and they're more respected because they were men, right? And it's like, it just gets the same patriarchal, the same kind of dogmatic stuff gets transferred from one space to the next. And I know a lot of people have had that experience, you know, like, okay, I left my, my Christian or my otherwise religious background to come to find something that's, you know, my own spirituality and that feels right for me. And then, then winds up in, you know, the same kinds of situations, just in a different context. Um, can you speak to kind of like how we can make sure that we're creating more feminist and more inclusive spaces um, in outside of, you know, Christian religion or other religious spaces, like in uh, these new spiritual spaces that we're building and we're rebuilding, like you said, like how can we take steps to make sure we're not just repeating the same old patterns? Yes. Um, so a lot of the work I do is also with people, a lot of my clients are coming from Christianity. 
which makes a lot of sense because that's kind of the context that I live in. Um, so they've either been raised in Christianity or they are like immediately have just left it and are like, I don't know what I believe anymore. It's great. Often what I encourage them to do is go through a process of deconstruction and reconstruction. And deconstruction is kind of a buzzword right now in some circles. Um, but what it really means is to take all of the aspects of the religion you were raised in and break out the patriarchal, the racist, the homophobic, the colonialistic, and the capitalistic understandings that existed within it and really strip that down before you start rebuilding a new set of beliefs. Because what often happens when we don't do that is that we end up adopting dogmatism and fundamentalism within our belief systems. And I think we run into this a lot when we hear people say like, no, this is what you need to do on the full moon. This is the right way to honor the full moon. I'm, I don't recall ever receiving that handbook. And so, so there is no, and since, and so much of what is oppressing us in, for me, the, the really conservative world that I was growing up with was that I was told there's a right way to be a Christian woman. And I was like, I don't think there is. I'm going to go look for other ways. And then I found myself coming into more pagan spaces that were like, there is a right way to be a witch. There is a right way to honor trees. And there isn't. Um, at the same time, I think, and I'm saying this as a, as a white cis woman, I'm straight as well, and I, that we often come to it for, with our own perspective. And I think especially for me, and, I, and Tina, you and I talked about this as well, like it's really hard um, for me, and I need to be really, really conscious of the fact that my experience as a white cis straight woman does not reflect the feminine for everyone. And that doesn't mean that my experience is wrong, but it doesn't mean it's the way to understand it. And I think even when it comes to whiteness, I think a lot of times people who have ancestors from Europe, we tend to value, especially in the, and this is happening a lot in the academy as well, an overvaluing of English and Celtic practices of witchcraft and completely brushing aside practices that happened in all the other cultures that exist in the world. So we're, we're recolonizing the space. Our ancestors did it with Christianity and now we're doing it again with our, with our Celtic practices. And that's also not cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely see that. And it is, it's interesting because I think there are, you know, very accessible traditions of witchcraft and of magic and of goddess worship and things like that in those kind of British and Celtic traditions. And so 100%. they become so widespread and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, that they're very accessible. And yet it is, I mean, it goes right back to those same kinds of colonial foundations. You know, I think that when people talk about, and I was just, I was on a podcast the other day, we were talking about this, about the like terrible use of, you know, white magic and black magic and like light witchcraft and things like this. And it's like, first of all, don't use those words, right? But second of all, just like having this understanding that, you know, just because something doesn't look the way you think it's supposed to doesn't mean that it's wrong or doesn't mean that it's evil or doesn't mean that it's bad, you know? And I think that it's, become very widespread in the pagan community in, you know, the last hundred years that this community has really become very strongly developed, that we're seeing so much of the same kind of dogma and this same kind of colonialism just built right in. And, and we really have to do our part. We have to do our work to make sure that we are dismantling that both like you're saying on a personal level, absolutely, but also on a larger level, you know, that we're as a community working on that, because I think it's, 
it's just like, I don't know, it's sad, you know, like I want to use a better adjective, but it's sad to just repeat the same mistakes. You know, we have to, we have to learn from that history and we have to do better. Yeah. And one thing I talked about in my, in a class in graduate school called Pagan Studies, we talked about like blood and soil and how a lot of times, and I think we see this a lot in certain uh, European focused Celtic practices, like every once in a while, white supremacists seep in. And there's this idea of a superiority um, because of their connection. And I think what the universal mother is teaching us, what mother earth is teaching us when we connect to her is that she is all of our mothers. And so while somebody in one part of the world, in a part of South America today, their ancestors under understood this mother earth in one way, and then oh, all the way in Norway, they understood Mother Earth in another way. We can learn about Mother Earth together instead of seeing one as a superior or correct way to know who she is. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Rachel asks in the comments, which is a, such a big question, Rachel. Um, how do we practice with appreciation and not appropriation? Mm -hmm. And that's, I love that question. It's something we talk about a lot here because I think that there is this really fine line, this really delicate balance between making sure that we are, and Alyssa says, I second Rachel's question. Um, there's this really delicate balance between making sure that we are learning together and we are honoring other practices and saying like, this is what my ancestors believed and this is what your ancestors believed. And you know, how can we elevate both of these equally while also making sure that we're not, you know, using someone else's way of thinking about it? Like, what's your, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think it's about learning about how other people thought about things. And I think it comes back to colonization. And what the thing that was so terrible about colonization was it was, this is now mine. This was yours, or I'm not even going to acknowledge that this belonged to you. This is just mine to pick up. Look at this land I found, not look at your land. And now I'm going to share it with you, which could have been problematic in its own right. But I think that what what that's what ends up happening is how do we learn from something without thinking it's ours? I think a lot about appropriation and the way yoga has been utilized and how the image of, of originally it was only something done for men. And now the image, the dominant image of a yoga instructor is a skinny white girl with bleach blonde hair. And the idea that our image of yoga has been stripped away from the culture that it's connected to instead of it belonging to to the culture that it came from and learning from that cult from from what yoga can teach us through the culture that it comes from so not divorcing it from that so i think when I, when i personally like i've been doing a lot of research into the orishas and trying to understand what i can learn from them i am not a black woman i do not have ancestry from africa in any way none of my ancestors practice this but there is a lot of wisdom in there that i can learn from and so it's at never at any point that I am going to think I am the supreme knower or that I own it or that it is mine. But at the same time that I can say, hey, I read a book about this. It talked about Oshun. You might be really interested in learning about it because I'm giving the knowledge and the ownership of it, remaining it with the culture that it belongs to or the, the people that it belongs to, but still being thankful and grateful that it exists. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. Julie says, I love that description of not divorcing yoga from its culture. Such an excellent analogy. Yeah, I agree. I think yoga is such a, a good space to see it in because it is so obvious. It's so clear how much we could, you know, how much we have just like stripped yoga away from its cultural and spiritual origin. So I think that's a that's a great place to really see it very clearly. And Luna asks a really great question. Luna says, I, I thought on the predominance of English and Celtic traditions versus the other traditions of the world. Is it that we are colonizing other practices or are we trying to not culturally appropriate from other cultures that may not be as accessible or trying not take up space or take over in BIPOC spaces? And I love that question, Luna, because I think it's a really important nuance to highlight that I think that on the one hand, absolutely, those of us who have Celtic ancestry, and I certainly do, working with the traditions of our ancestors and you know, really fully and genuinely practicing those traditions in ways that work for us is, I agree, I think it is a method of making sure we're not appropriating, making sure that we are practicing our own ancestral traditions and not taking for things that aren't ours. But at the same time, I think what Lori is sharing that I think is a really, really good perspective on it, too, is that we, I shouldn't even say we, but like the spiritual community, right, the witchcraft community as kind of a whole has had this tendency, especially in the last like five or six decades, like I, and I'm thinking especially since like Gardnerian Wicca really got started, right? we've had this tendency to say that, okay, you know, being a witch means practicing these, these eight holidays. Being a witch means, you know, working with Bridget. Being a witch means working with these particular tools. And, you know, I think that it does make it challenging sometimes for someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have Celtic ancestry or doesn't feel as connected to their Celtic ancestry to come into that space and be like, well, I don't really want to celebrate Beltane. Like Beltane doesn't really resonate with me. Does that mean I'm not a witch? Um, and so I think that those Celtic traditions have had a tendency to kind of take over the witchcraft spaces. And so it, again, it's a really delicate balance, right? Between like, how do we make sure we're not appropriating and we are practicing our own ancestral traditions while at the same time acknowledging that there is no right way to be a witch. And that, you know, if you're, especially if you're not of Celtic ancestry, you shouldn't feel obligated to use those traditions. Yeah, I mean, I also like, I have come from an Italian German background. So when I was first exploring paganism, I was like, I don't, there's some Celtic stuff that was going on in the Rhine that resonates, but like I also talk about ancestral work as like what aligns with your soul because I think your soul knows what your ancestral practices were. And when I heard about a lot of those traditional witch holidays, I was like, I don't, something didn't resonate with me. And then when I started looking into not just Strega, but other practices that were done in Southern Italy, those things started working with my soul a little bit more. And to be able to just like for not forgive myself because I didn't really need to apologize to myself, but like let that be the tradition that many, many, many practice and that I appreciate and love, but not necessarily what I I have to or must practice in order to be pagan. Yes, absolutely. And that's a great point too, that you know, even within European 
witchcraft and European spirituality and traditions, there is a lot of diversity there. And so to even try to lump ourselves in as like, oh, we have European ancestry, like that's really not good enough. You know, we're really, our ancestors were from specific places and they, you know, had different practices between Ireland and France and Italy. And I mean, these are really different locations. And so I think that even saying that, you know, oh, well, well, I mean, I'm using Beltane, right? Cause it's this weekend, but you know, oh, Beltane is European. Like, well, yeah, it was celebrated in different ways in several different places in Europe, but that still doesn't make it universal. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's the key, right? Is like nothing about our spirituality should be universal and we shouldn't expect other people to practice in any, in any given way, right? Like just when we boil it down, that's the, that's the heart of it. <laughs> Um, Alyssa asks in the chat, what is the best way to jump into our ancestral background to start practicing for our souls? I really love that soul practice. Yeah, I love that too. That's a good question, Alyssa. Yeah, how have you worked with ancestral work and traditions, Lori? So I started my ancestral work by uh, with a little, a little privileged because I was in Germany. And so that was kind of the beginning of it. My sister and I, my sister lives in Germany and we did a deep dive into our ancestral work. I had done the whole spitting in a tube and finding out where family was from. And then we were also doing ancestry.com stuff. And I was able to, to do my own work with the goddesses of the areas in the areas, which was really, really beautiful. A lot of meditation and then also research. So I am a huge nerd. I um, connect, I'm a Libra. So I connect a lot of my like spiritual self with like what I can reconcile with my brain. And so the moment I started finding out like, oh, I have family from that lived on the Rhine. Well, who were the goddesses of the Rhine? Oh, that was the three mothers. What, what does that mean? What are their stories? What do we know? Going to museums, looking at any type of pagan artifacts I could find and genuinely tapping into like, a genuine, what I call like our erotic joy, like tapping into like what, when I'm around it, do I, does my, do I feel like my soul goes, <gasps> is the best way to describe it. Where it's, I feel like I'm in front of something or with something that's right and real. And so that's kind of where I began. So I followed where I knew my family was from and my family came to America. My last group of family came to America in 1920. So we did have some relatively like close ability to figure out where our ancestors were from, but I just looked around to see where I found <gasps> excitement. And so like another example is I've been wearing a snake around my neck for forever. I've been drawn to snakes. I loved snakes. Snakes meant so much to me and I had no clue why. Um, really, I had no knowledge of a relationship with snakes. And then I discovered that in the area where my family was from was Isis's walnut tree, which was cut down by one of the monks that was evangelizing to the area. And one of the symbols that a lot of the cults in that region used was a snake to honor Isis. I have no evidence, tangible physical evidence that my ancestors worshiped Isis, but me and my sister, who's also pagan, have been in love with snakes since we started tapping into our ancestral work. And we're like, something, something's rocking here. And we're just going to kind of follow that. And I think giving yourself permission, um, especially for myself, giving myself permission to like do things, even though I don't know for absolute sure that it lines up has been the best thing for me. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> Alyssa says, me too, Libra. And I was going to say, as you were talking, I was like, this is going to resonate real hard with Alyssa. Um, <laughs> Libra research, all the things. Um, <laughs> Luna says, Libra rising, does it still count? Yeah, I think so. I think it does. Uh, Jenny says, I was literally thinking about your necklace and trying to look at it through the camera. We had to bring it up. It was perfect. Um, yeah, I, I love that because I think that ancestral work for me is very similar. Like it's very privileged in the experience of being able to actually visit my ancestral lands. And, you know, if that's something you're able to do, do it. But, you know, don't feel like it's something that's, you know, you have to do in order to be connected to your ancestors. Not at all. Um, but there, I just, I resonate so much with everything you said. It's like just that experience of, of being in front of something or seeing something or, you know, being part of a, a space, being in a, an environment where you just go like, yeah, like this is connected somehow. Like you do, you just feel it on that really deep soul level. And I think that that permission to know that something is right, even if you don't have the evidence um, is really important because a lot of times we can't find the evidence, you know, either in European ancestry, you know, it's just sort of like, it's so transformed into Christianity that it's like completely obscured at a certain point and it's really hard to actually find those pieces. And then also a lot of other cultures as well, you know, especially African ancestry is very difficult to trace due to colonialism. And so, you know, whether you can't trace your own ancestry for one reason or another, as well as adoption and things like that. You know, my grandmother was adopted and we didn't know her ancestry up until a couple of years ago and she's almost 80. Um, so, you know, I mean, whether you don't know your ancestry for one reason or another, um, or you just can't find the evidence, but you know that it's true. You know that, yes, you know, this is something that comes from my ancestral culture in one way or another, as closely as I know, and you gotta just go with it. There, there's that balance between like doing your research and making sure that you're, you know, really in touch with your own ancestors, but also just kind of trusting that instinct. Like, again, it's a delicate balance, I think. Yeah. Let's see, uh, Jenny says, I know for a fact without doing DNA tests that I'm part German, Irish, and Polish. And I'd love to visit those places in the world and learn more history with paganism in those areas. Yeah, it's really powerful experience, Jenny, like learning about your ancestry and what your ancestors might have or probably practiced, you know, 500 or a thousand years ago. Um, there is just something really magical about it. Like every time I've learned something about especially Scottish, but also some Italian ancestry as well. Um, it learned something about practices from those regions. It just like, oh, I don't know, it just like lights you up from the inside. Yes, I, I think being able to, like one thing that happened to me when I was in Germany is I like met, I love trees as I'm sure many other pagans in this group do. And I love, like I met like a couple trees that I would just like love to sit in front of and like journal in front of and lean against and like really like felt very connected to. I, it is, I mean, most of them were on like the castle grounds. So I highly doubt any of my ancestors were hanging out with those trees. But I did feel like a huge, deep connection to them, knowing that like my ancestors would have thought this tree was holy as well. And just being in Germany at the time was really life-giving for me. I haven't been able to go to my ancestral land in Italy. I've been to Rome many times, but I haven't been to that specific town yet. But even just looking on Google Maps at like the different like rivers and things like that that are in the area, 
my soul lights up and I know that like, I would just want to put my hands on that ground and like get to be on the ground of my ancestors would be beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There is something so amazing and powerful about getting to visit those places. I've been to Scotland a number of times. And the last time that I went, I went by myself and it was January. It was very cold. Um, and I, it was just kind of a fluke that I happened to be there by myself at this weird time of year. And I decided I was going to take the train from, I was staying in Edinburgh, I was going to take the train to this other town about like an hour away, I think, just to, you know, check out what was there. And there was a, this tiny, tiny little village about halfway between. And I was like, oh, I'll stop there and, you know, get a, get a snack and see what's there. And there was this castle that was supposed to be, you know, a, a cool enough thing to check out, cool enough to stop, right? And so I stopped and wandered around the town and it was snowing and very pretty, you know. And I ended up, the, the castle that's there is called Linlithgow Palace and it's it was demolished or not demolished, but destroyed in like the 1700s, like hundreds of years ago, it became a ruin. And so it's just, you know, there's no ceiling for the most part. It's just open. It's just this stone ruin, but it has a lot of historical value because there's a lot of, you know, famous rulers and royalty that were born there and things like that. Right. And so it's kind of, it's in disrepair, but it's like kept up as best they can. Anyway. So, I w ended up wandering around this ruin for like hours. <laughs> like it was not, that was not the plan for the day, but I just like felt so deeply connected to this place and didn't really have a good reason for it. I, you know, was reading about all the history and was very connected to that, felt very drawn to, you know, Mary Queen of Scots and like some of these, these famous people that I knew from history, but otherwise, you know, I, I thought it was just like, wow, this is a really, you know, amazing historical site. And then, I don't know, a year or two later, I discovered we had finally, I'd been trying to trace our Scottish ancestry for years and finally kind of cracked through it and found the link. And it turned out that uh, my direct ancestor died in that palace. <laughs> and it was just like, like the most like full body chills. <laughs> I was just like, okay, it's real. Like magic. Oh my gosh. So, so that is erotic spirituality right there. So like, I know that that's like, it sounds, um, it doesn't sound sexual, which I think we associate the erotic with the sexual, but that right there is like, you followed this pull, this yearning. And it was like, everything inside of you knew the right direction. And like, maybe it wouldn't be foolish in the same ways that we would categorize foolish, but you left the plan and, and the, divine, your ancestors, whatever you want to say, like, we're like, you are going to come and visit me. I don't really care what your plans are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's amazing I, to have any kind of experience like that, whether it's being able to actually visit a place or just following that impulse, just following that, like, for some reason, I feel like I need to, you know, have this snake necklace, or for some reason, I feel like I need yes. to go, you know, to visit this random castle, like, it's just, there's always value in that, you know, and it, it's not value that we can tangibly put our hands on, we just have to trust that it's going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Ugh. Beautiful. Chill. Um, <laughs> okay, I love this conversation. This has been so, so good. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. Um, can you tell us where people can find you and where they can connect more with you? Yes. So I'm on Instagram at Lori Kimmerly. And my website is www.lorikimmerly.com. 
You can also join my Facebook group as well, Women in Spiritual Deconstruction and Reconstruction. And I will be launching information about the Feminist School of Theology within the next week. So that will, information will be up as well. So you can either friend me on Facebook. That's I'll accept almost every woman's friend request because I get, just get excited about meeting women. So that's Lori Kimberly, just as you see. And, um, or you can join the Facebook group and there'll be information there or on my Instagram as well. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the new project. That's very exciting. Thank you. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone who's here live and asked awesome questions. Um, if you have more questions, feel free to tag me or Lori in your comments on the replay. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. This was an awesome conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Tanae. It was really, really exciting to be here. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.